Welcome, everyone. In this episode, my general manager here at Hard Bad Athletics is actually going to be interviewing me. I figured this would be a great way to kick off the first official episode of the podcast where I can dive a little bit deeper into who we are, what we do, who we serve, and what our mission truly is on a deeper level. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, We normally sit down and have these types of conversations on a regular basis anyway. So although there was this formal element to it where we had the headsets on and microphones in front of our faces, we had a ton of fun producing this. So I hope you enjoy, and if you have any questions, please shoot them over to us. And as always, please like and subscribe. What's up, Derek? How are you doing this I'm, afternoon? I'm good, Iris. How are you? Awesome. We just hit a super fun workout, uh, an adaptation of a games workout. Uh, I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah, we did the capital, and we even finished with carrying the sandbag up the steps. Not nearly as many stairs in the real version, but still, it was a good uh, climax to the event. I told my classes the games version first so that what they were doing wouldn't sound so bad. 2,000 meter run doesn't sound that bad when you heard that they had to do, what was it, three and a half miles? Yeah. No, this is very true. True. Cool. All right. Well, episode one of Hard Bat Inside and Out. Let's get into it. Um, let's start by telling us a little bit about your background, Derek. How did you get into fitness? Well, I mean, as always, you know, when you're 33, this can be a long story, but I played every sport under the sun when I was growing up. Um, I had a natural love for athletics. And um, what happened was once I came to age to a point where I was able to start doing a strength and conditioning program, um, I saw the immense benefits immediately. So I did it in the off season after my eighth grade year going into high school and just put on a ton of muscle mass, um, a good, a good bit of size, a lot of speed was able to jump much higher and just felt far more confident, um, maneuvering with some of the varsity players that I was playing against and with, um, and realized just immediately how much of an impact and an influence both strength and conditioning can have, but also, uh, the influence that a coach can have both for good and bad. Um, and I'm sure that anyone that's played team sports or individual sports for that matter, has had good and bad experiences with coaches. And we all know that if you can find a mentor, um, you know, that can kind of take you along and show you the ropes and, and, you know, be empathetic, but also uh, hold you accountable, it can be a really transforming experience. Yeah, for sure. Did you have a moment that you can remember where you maybe had a coach that you looked up to and you were like, I want to do that. Maybe it wasn't a specific moment, but do you have a moment like that or maybe multiple? Yeah, there's a bunch of them actually. So one of my favorite moments, um, I think that always resonated with me was I had an AAU basketball coach and um, we went to play in a tournament in the inner city. And it was like we it was like a culture shock. Like we got there and it was to the point where like these kids are like 14 years old and like donking. It was ridiculous. In Philly? In Philly. Okay. Yeah. And it was absolutely ridiculous. Like totally over our head, something competition we had never seen before. And our coach sat us down after our first game. He could just see like, we were like deer in headlights out there. Right. And we were 
for our area, like we were actually a really solid team. It was like all the all-stars of the surrounding middle school teams kind of came together for this AAU team. And it was, it was like fun and magical. And like, we, we got along, there was good camaraderie and, and the, like ultimately we did really well in our area. But once we started expanding outside of that, it was like, Oh wow. Like there's a whole different level of talent out there. And he sat us down after our first game. And he said to us, he was like, look, I need you all to understand that, these kids dribble a ball to and from school every day. The only way that most of these kids are going to college is if they get a ride for basketball. And that set in for me really quickly, just like how much time these kids were dedicating and what it meant to them versus what it meant to us. And I think that it it was just a, a really good example for me of how much work ethic people out there are putting into the things that they're passionate about. Um, so yeah, that was really eye opening. Um, and yeah, I just, I mean, I had a whole assortment of coaches that, um, you know, really instilled belief in, for me in myself, in my abilities within my positions, um, you know, made me a harder worker and made me love the games that I was playing. Um, and then on the flip side, I, I had coaches that were not the greatest and were extremely type A and were my way or the highway and they didn't bend at all. And because of it, their players didn't really, their players didn't want to play for them, you know, and it was really unfortunate. So it, it was worthwhile, you know, like when I look back in hindsight, it's worthwhile taking note of both of those things. Cause I think in large part, that's what made me, you know, into the coach that I am today is seeing what I don't want to be and also seeing what I want to be. Yeah. And you've had a lot of, it sounds like you've had a lot of different experiences that have helped you see firsthand what you want to be versus not want to be. So that's definitely helpful. How old were you when you first got into coaching? Um, so I start, well, we coached some kids in basketball type camps when I was in high school. Um, much of that was just, you know, teaching them some of the basic skills and fundamentals of basketball. And then much like working with any kids uh, that are below the ages of like eight, it's pretty much like trying to keep them paying attention for, you know, 20, 30 minutes at a time um, and not like throwing the balls at each other and stuff like that. But um, I would say that officially I started coaching when I was a freshman in college. So I originally went to school for business. I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur of some, some sort, but I wasn't sure in what, you know, and when you're a young kid, like you think a lot about money because you're like, you know, you're definitely, you lean into materialism more and you're like, Oh, I want the cool car and the nice watch and all this stuff. Sure. And you see people that have those things. You think that's what you want. Right. Um, but what, you know, for me, what came to fruition really quick was the realization that I had very little interest in just making money for its own sake. And I wanted to do something that I loved and I love sports and I love coaching and I love strength and conditioning. So it was kind of the perfect marriage. And when I went to school, uh, my freshman year, I switched after my first semester, which I really knew within the first couple of weeks that I was going to switch out. And I moved into an exercise uh, science program uh, at Indiana university of Pennsylvania. And I started applying at all the local gyms in the area and a gym owner took me on and funny enough, like this is, this is a story I will always tell. So they, they had one opening and it was for a step class. Okay. Yeah. No lie. So it was for a step class. And I was like, well, look, I got to get my foot in the door here. I'm 18 years old. Like, I don't know shit about, about coaching and I don't want to go work and serve food or like bounce at one of these bars and deal with a bunch of drunk kids. Like Fair I, I got to get my foot in the door. So like, you should have seen me like the first few classes. I looked like just complete and total ridiculousness. 
And uh, so, yeah, so imagine me, right? Six four, two fifty, coaching yeah. a step class. Yeah. Is this men and women in the class? I'm imagining. Like, oh no, mostly... it was both. Okay, it was both. Okay. And then what happened was, um, it, despite the fact that like I had a huge learning curve for something that I've never done before and was completely <laughs> outside of my area of expertise, the the owner and the people that were there, um, a they saw that I really cared about the people that were there. B. Um, they realized that I knew what I was talking about because I not only, you know, love strength and conditioning inside of my program within school, but like I was a student to the game and a student to the art art forum outside of it as well. So like I took a really keen interest into it and um, very quickly that transitioned into me having some personal training opportunities. So a lot of the people that were part of those classes now wanted me to coach them and other things. And at the time I was involved in boxing and kickboxing and jujitsu. So I started being able to hold pads for people and incorporating some more fit boxing style um, classes for the people inside of that gym. And yeah, I mean, like it was, it was a cool opportunity for me because not only was I able to serve, you know, these people inside of the gym and see myself growing into it, I formed a lot of great relationships and I formed the skill sets around working one-on-one with a client and what it took to retain them and keep them happy and make them fit and show them results. Awesome. I think we could fit a uh, step class into the schedule at Harvard. <laughs> We're going to have to look into that. Yeah, we might have to purchase a few steps, but I, I think we could uh I think we could open a slot for that. For I sure. think I think that's probably going to be the first time that many Hardbet members know that story, which is even better. That's incredible. I love that. So then how did all of this lead to you eventually opening your own gym? So, I mean, I was in school for exercise science. I ended up transferring to Westchester uh, University of Pennsylvania and continued that pursuit. And there um, I picked up a bunch of in-home clients. Uh, My mom was basically, you know, on like on top of me about finding a job. And I had applied at a few places. Uh, There was one that was like, you know, uh, taking care of like elderly people and like just being, you know, being there with them. And, and, and I applied and I'm like thinking to myself, like, I don't really want to be doing any of this. And it was the same, same situation. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to put up an ad on Craigslist, which is so funny because, you know, I'm now, this was probably, I was a 20 year old kid and here I am just like throwing out personal training and CrossFit opportunities on Craigslist. And I started getting bites. Like people started messaging me and like, Hey, I'm really, interested in this. Um, and I started going out to people's houses and, uh, I luckily had a conversation with another coach that did in-home training before I started, um, working with people in, in home. And he told me about the pricing range and it was like way outside of what I was comfortable asking for. But he was like, look, like this is how much you have to charge if you're going to be physically going to people's houses, bringing some equipment, like you're paying for the gas mileage, you're paying for the time, you know, to and from in your car. Um, so I started charging in-home clients at $100 an hour when I was 20 years old. And I was just completely and utterly surprised how many people just cut the check. You know, like, oh, here's a month's worth of sessions. Here you go. Um, I want to work three days a week with you. And then it started becoming... Um, you know, I want you to work with my kids or some of the housewives would be like, Hey, like my girlfriends want to come over in the mornings. Can you do like a session with like five or six of us? So I started just going into these, um, you know, upper middle class communities in and around, um, an area called Garnet Valley. And it just like one opportunity after another presented itself to me that led to me working at a local, um, fitness studio where I then picked up, you know, coaching more classes and other people. Um, and through uh, these different ventures, <clears throat> I ended up 
uh, getting a private loan from one of my clients. I told him about my dreams of running a business and he was like, all right, well, show me a business plan, which I really wish I still had it because it's probably so comical that like I would crack up looking at the it. The business plan that the, you wrote out? The original business plan. Okay. Is yeah. the, this is like just on paper? Like, Oh, it was like, no, no, no. I think it was a, it was like a word document, Okay, but it was like very minimal market research around CrossFit. I mean, we, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. Right. Sure. So, um, we got a $25,000 private loan to start the gym and we spent every penny plus a couple thousand dollars on equipment. So we started month one with a big fat zero in the checking account, um, which in hindsight obviously was really stupid. Um, but we got really lucky. And when we started CrossFit was like kind of taken off on that hockey stick on the graph. Like it was, you know, we started in 2011 and, CrossFit was really starting to take off. The games had been in place for a couple of years. They're getting contracts with ESPN. It was really starting to popularize. So like we didn't need to do a whole lot of marketing on our end um, in the very beginning because everyone just wanted to know what this CrossFit is. And we were the only CrossFit gym in Newark, Delaware. Gotcha. You have, I mean, you have a lot of experience with all different kinds of training. So what led you to kind of deciding that your gym was going to have this CrossFit focus? The thing I loved about CrossFit was the kind of the, the universality of like how it could be applied to so many different walks of life. Um, I always tell the story that when I was in college in school for exercise science, I also went to a local CrossFit gym and it was so funny to me that like the, there were the average Joes and Janes that went to this CrossFit gym were fitter than the master's students that were running some of the uh, like side programs. Like we had to, we had to coach at like the local athletic gym at Westchester. And it was just unbelievable to me that like you would watch, you know, these people like the, um, like the, the, I think they're called GAs or graduate assistants. Yeah. The GAs would like work out and then go and look at like what this like average mom is doing at this CrossFit gym. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like these people blow the people in my exercise science program out of the water. So that was fascinating to me because um, at the time, inside of the traditional strength and conditioning world, everyone was laughing at CrossFit. Oh, this is going to be a fad. This is stupid. But meanwhile, anyone that was actually taking part in both, I mean, it was evidence-based because it's right in front of your eyes. You're looking at it and you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like this, this woman over here is in her, you know, her mid forties. She can overhead squat. She can climb rope. Like she can run a mile in under seven minutes. And you're over here and like struggling with 95 pounds on a front squat. And it was, so it just became really apparent. The, the, there were levels to this game and um, CrossFit had found something really special. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like in those CrossFit communities, if you spent any time in them, it's like, well, yeah, of course this woman in her forties is climbing ropes and doing overhead squats. Like that's what we all do. And then sometimes when you see the way from that, someone from outside looks at that, they're like, Oh my God, like that's crazy that she can do that. It's, it really shows you like the difference between, cause we spend so much time with people, you know, now every day that it's like, yeah, of course we're going to see if you can climb this rope. Of course we're going to work on your overhead squat position. And then to some people it's like, it's so accepted that like, well, I'm, 40 I'm 50 or even like younger like I'm you know 
35. I can't do that. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, we talk about this quite often, but it's, it's just amazing to see the different stories that people tell themselves from the time they come in here for their first consult versus, you know, one year, three years, five years into our program, they come in and they're like, Oh, like I just want to lose 10 pounds. I want to be able to see a little bit of muscle on my arms. And then like three years in, they're like, I want to be able to do five rope climbs in a minute. And I want to be able to run a sub six mile. And like, it starts becoming a lot more geared around their performances and the ability to do things, you know, with pain-free movement and the quality of their movement improving. And it, it just, what it, that tr- is that transformation is ultimately what takes it from these like vanity metrics to a lifestyle, right? And you hear this all the time, like it needs to be a lifestyle if you want this to stick. But the reality is that in order for it to become a lifestyle, like you have to find a love for fitness. And like, it's really hard to find a love for fitness purely based on aesthetic metrics. Whereas when you start looking into performance things, it's like many of the times you're going to get the, the aesthetic benefits from that anyway. And now like you have this, you know, friendly competition and community um, where everyone's here for very similar reasons, right? Everyone wants to look good naked and wants to be able to, to like the way they look in a bathing suit, but they also want to be a more physically capable person to where if they go on vacation and decide on a whim, Hey, I kind of want to take surfing lessons. They're not worried they're going to drown, or I want to go on this 10 mile hike and not worry that my legs are going to give out halfway, right? It's like, no one cares what their body fat percentage is if they can't finish the hike with their grandkids. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's so important to have both because I feel like inherently with weight and the way that we look and your body fat percentage, there's a lot of like, oh, I should be thinner. I should, you know, look this way. I wish I looked like that person. But with a lot of the performance things, like I want to lift heavier because it's cool. Right. I feel like it's yeah. really important to have both. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like we talk about this a lot where it's it's you can't piecemeal someone's life because you want one attribute that they have. So when you see someone that's really lean, like I know precision, precision nutrition has a great infographic on this where it's called like the, the, the cost, the cost of yeah. getting lean. And it's like, okay, like you want to be whatever 5% body fat, but like, do you want to take Tupperware to all of your outings? Like, do you want to not go out on the weekends? Do you want to get, you know, eight hours of sleep consistently within the same hours every single night, no matter what. And for most people that trade off isn't worth it. And honestly, I believe that for most people that that trade-off isn't worth it for them, right? Like I don't, that's not something that I would frequently push someone into, but what is worth, you know, moving yourself towards or moving the needle closer to is a lifestyle where you have more physical freedoms, where you can do more with your body confidently so that, you know, you're not afraid that you're going to blow your back out picking up a couch or having to move something in your house, or you're not going to blow your shoulder out putting something uh, up on a shelf. It just gives you a, a sense of physical freedom. And I think that as we age, you know, everyone appreciates this more and more. And whether people are willing to admit it or not, like, you know, as people get older, they're more likely to just give up things, accepting, you know, the fact that they're like, oh, well, I'm just aging you know, I probably shouldn't be doing this at my age, but the reality is that there's someone inside of this gym that's doing those things. So anytime someone comes in here and they're like, I'm 55, like, I don't know if this is right for me. It's like, listen, we got 55 year olds in here doing pull-ups, climbing rope, like jumping on boxes and doing deadlifts. And like, it's possible for And you. older than 55. Yo, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you would agree as a coach, I think that some of the most rewarding progress to hear from clients is not like, oh, I can see my abs now. If that's their goal, that's awesome. Or like, I, you know, I 
lost whatever percentage body fat all that stuff is great but there's something about when someone comes in and they're like oh i could push my kid on the swing for longer yep or kind of like you said I, I went on vacation and i did the the hike and i wasn't afraid that i was gonna have to stop um that stuff is so real well and, and i think some things are, are are subjective and um like for instance like if you look at yourself in the mirror you could have lost 10 pounds and you can be 5% body fat different than you were six months ago. And you can still not like the way that you look, right? That's a very subjective thing, but being able to do something you once couldn't is not subjective, right? The the data is right in front of you and the proof is in the pudding. And I feel like people realize that thing, that, that type of stuff. And, and, you know, also along with it, realize the impact that that has on their life. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, not to like completely change the subject, but I think something that I'm interested in that a lot of people would be interested in since we kind of talked about the beginnings of hard bat is in the very beginning. And there's maybe like a few select members who would already know this cause they were there, but what did it hard bat look like compared to now in terms of like, were you pretty much coaching all the classes or, you know, um, I know we were definitely in a different location. Um, what were those like beginning days like? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning it's, it's like partly a blur and partly, you know, it was just a grind. Um, you know, I couldn't, I can't even tell you how many hours I spent inside of the building, both coaching classes, sleeping here at nights for a long period of time. Um, and just doing everything that I possibly could to keep the doors open and, and keep the people happy. I mean, in the, listen, like it, at the end of the day, like I always have done the thing that I thought was best for my members, given my current capacity as a coach. And obviously, you know, as I look back, there are mistakes that I have made, but this is just part of of growing as a coach. So in in the very beginning, we were very competitive um, in the way that we, you know, tried to maintain the culture into the gym. And, And like, don't get me wrong, like there are people that absolutely miss that. But for us, what we realized was that what was happening was a lot of people were pretending to be competitive rather than actually giving themselves and making the sacrifices necessary to to take after that or go after that pursuit. Um, and it was just it was leading to some negative outcomes for people that didn't necessarily, you know, they had kids, they weren't able to get eight hours of sleep at night. They had tons of stress from work. Like they they had to miss certain days because work and stuff with kids came up. And, you know, just going as hard as humanly possible, you know, RPE 9, RPE 10 every single day was just to the detriment for some, for, for the average person. Um, now, like I said, I do miss some of that competitiveness for sure. Um, but in the very beginning, it was very like old school grungy feeling. Yeah, like we had a warehouse. We could barely afford to paint it, let alone do any sort of decorations or, uh, you know, routine cleaning. It was it was just like, come in, let's grind, get after the work and, uh, you know, show up again tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, it was very like grassroots CrossFit in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, the grunge for sure. <laughs> Um, so obviously hard bat has evolved over the years. Um, you talked a lot about your fitness experiences kind of when you were younger and in the beginning stages of CrossFit, how has your personal fitness routine evolved over maybe the last 10 years? Yeah. I mean, probably up until about five years ago, all of my, fitness routines and priorities inside of the gym were geared around 
improving performance in a very narrow field. Um, maybe minus, you know, the, the very small CrossFit blip that I went through when, you know, it took me a year or two to realize that a guy that's six, four and 250 pounds probably is not suited well nah, for this you sport. You still got it. You yeah. still got it. Uh, who knows? Come back on the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, like most of my training was geared around very narrow fields of performance, whether it be for Olympic weightlifting or trying to improve, uh, my fitness for, uh, for jujitsu or for Muay Thai. Um, I was always, you know, training for a very, very specific purpose. Um, and then at some point, you know, both because I was starting to see that those, th the things I was starting to see the toll, those things were taking on my body, but also starting to take a much greater interest in developing as a coach. And then eventually as a business owner, uh, my priorities around training changed. And now my training looks a lot more, um, or is, is born more of curiosity of movement. Like I am constantly toying with new exercises and movement patterns, um, and is also based around longevity. It's like, okay, well, I have a little bit of knee pain when I'm at this point of flexion. Let's, let's identify what's going on there and, you know, try to throw some different things at it and see what works, see what doesn't and really just take notes. And then I can hopefully replicate that in case somebody else comes to me with that sort of an issue. So yeah, I mean, now like my mind is more geared around having fun, um, being experimentative and adventurous, um, and, and taking my fitness outside of the gym a little bit more, you know, I'm getting much more into mountain biking and hiking and doing things that aren't necessarily like, you know, do this for time or do this for reps or weight. And it's more geared around like, no, let's go see some cool shit and, uh, and explore a little bit. And then the other piece is longevity, you know, I'm 33, um, which is not old by any means, but I genuinely believe that if you want to be a 75 year old, that's just like a total badass. You have to be in the best shape of your life when you're 50, period. And that starts now um, because you can be a monster in your 20s and in your 30s, but if you destroy your joints, like anyone that's been through joint replacements or major surgeries and around their knees or elbows or shoulders, you they know the repercussions that these things have in the long run. I mean, I, I, the last thing I want is to try to be, you know, try to overexert myself while trying to do all these things for the business, injure myself. And then, you know, in 10 years be cursing myself out because now I've got a limp when I walk or like, I, I can't even squat to full depth anymore because, you know, my knees have so much scar tissue built up in them. So yeah, now, um, I, I definitely sit more in the, the longevity field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked recently about you were describing some of the ways that you train and the way that you think, you know, a lot of people should train as, kind of reverse engineering like what you do want to be able to do and how you do want to feel when you are 75, 80, 85, you know, do you want to be someone who's able to be active and still go on the hike on vacation and, you know, have the energy to play with the kids and all that. And realistically, like being that person then starts now for kind of anyone thirties or younger. Yeah, it does. And I think it, it the biggest thing is you got to figure out what's in the center of the bullseye for someone that is 75, right? It's like, can you carry grocery bags, uh, you know, 20 pounds or 30 pounds in each hand, you know, a certain amount of distance and up some stairs? Um, you know, do you have any capacity for maintaining running or, or let alone sprinting? Uh, do your joints have full range of motion or as close to it as possible? And do you have strength at that range? Um, 
what does your posture look like, right? Your ability to stabilize your spine and your ability to maintain the basics and fundamentals of movement patterns, right? Like what is your, what is your, um, your pressing mechanics look like? What do your hinging mechanics look like? What do your squatting patterns look like? And I think that if you can really, you know, harp on these fundamentals and, and just maintain them the best you can while avoiding injury and setback, you're just setting yourself up for a life of success and, and a very high quality movement. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Um, I feel like kind of going along with the longevity thing, I know that's something that you have been uh, really involved with with yourself and with your clients over the last few years, especially has been like mindfulness, meditation, and kind of really emphasizing that mental component along with the physical fitness. So how do you see mindfulness and why has that kind of become an important part of your coaching and then also just your own life as well? Yeah, I mean, this was something that I've always been really fascinated by this. Like I started reading books like The Power of Now and books geared around um, philosophy uh, when I was just starting the gym. (laughs) I was like sleeping here. I had a lot of extra time. So (laughs) I definitely read a lot. Um, But it's it's become much more at the forefront of of my daily thinking in the last couple of years. Um, And what I would say is anyone that comes to me for mindfulness, the very first box that I'm going to check is their physical fitness. Because I don't think that you can get around poor thinking with more thinking. I think you have to go through the body. And ultimately, if you are someone that is incredibly inactive and out of shape, the likelihood that you're going to feel fulfilled and and maintain great mental health, but have terrible physical hygiene and health is just extremely slim, if not zero. It goes together. Um, Exactly. And I, I think that you get to the mind through the body, but once you do get to a point where you've proven consistency to yourself and you develop um, you know, some self-esteem, which is really just your reputation with yourself, then there are other practices and things you can do to, to kind of take it to the next level. Um, and I think some of the basics are, you know, setting a morning routine and a night routine, basically to, you know, set some intentions and calmness for your day and uh, being okay with sitting by yourself for even just a few minutes every day, unencumbered by all of these distractions that are in our faces constantly, you know, so um, the ability to sit by yourself for five minutes, is just such an underrated skill and the ability to be bored. You know, I think like a lot of creativity and insightfulness and, uh, calmness is born of just like the willingness to not have your attention pulled in, in one direction or another and just allowing yourself to, to be present. Just sitting alone with your thoughts like you described is so hard for so many people. It's hard to even convince people to try that once. Yeah, there. I forget who had mentioned this, but there was somebody that was saying, um, they were like, you know, there are some of the most successful CEOs in the world that can't sit by themselves for five minutes in a chair, you know? So like they're just incredibly successful people in, in, in all sorts of different domains that just cannot sit by themselves for five minutes. Like it will drive them absolutely crazy. So it is a skill in and of itself, um, but it's one worth attaining. Yeah. Why do you think that's so hard for people? I think we just live in a world where it's, it's less, it's less common. Like it's much easier. We live in a world where like information is constantly accessible. Right. Um, and because of the dopamine hit that comes from, you know, reaching for your phone or putting on the TV or just constantly looking for some form of a distraction. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's like, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. It's the same, same way. 
as, uh, you know, if you don't run, eventually you're not going to be able to. Well, if you don't sit by yourself with your thoughts for even just a few moments throughout the day, eventually you're going to lose that ability. Um, and unfortunately, society has just, uh, you know, leaned us into a place where it's it's becoming far more common. Yeah. Um, like we always need to be doing something. Always need, busyness is like so valued, like multitasking and, oh my God, I'm doing a million things and I'm so busy. I'm too busy to even sit with myself for five minutes. I almost think that it, people like feeling like that's true. Like yeah. Well, and busy. think about what you and I say to each other all the time. Like, are we being busy or, or are we actually being productive? You know, or I think we say, are we being productive or, or are we just being busy? Right. Um, because those, those are two totally different things. Um, and decision fatigue is real. Um, you know, the, the more decisions you have to make and the more things you have to do, as minute as you might think they are, they all impact your ability um, to be creative, but also just uh, to, to maintain your energy stores. Like ultimately, you have a certain amount of energy throughout the day. And the more crap that you cram in there, the more it's going to drain that battery. Yeah. So you think a good place to start is just that five minutes a day? Yeah, I think just three to five minutes a day can can be immensely beneficial because oftentimes what people realize is just how much it does help them to kind of center themselves before starting their day. Um, and not rather than like passively scrolling on the phone or immediately checking their email where they're, you know, now set into an environment where they're putting out a bunch of fires to start their day and it's stressful um, and look, like I, I check my email very shortly after I do a few moments of, of, uh, solitude in the morning, um, because I want to get that out of the way, but like, I still try to make sure that as, as regularly as I can, my day starts with, with some calmness and, and being present and just setting some intentions for myself. Yeah. Awesome. I think everyone could benefit from a little bit more mindfulness for sure. Um, so to wrap us up, last question for you is, Imagine if there's someone out there listening to this who thinks all this sounds really awesome and they want to get physically healthier, you know, maybe want to get mentally healthier too, all the mindfulness stuff, um, but they just don't know where to start. They've never really worked out consistently before. Where would you recommend someone like that starts? Find a community of people that you want to be like, period. If it's if Everyone focuses too much on trying to remove things from their life. Um, and that, that is good, is good and great. And it has its place, but ultimately, like if you really want to change your life, you have to go spend more time around the people that you want to be like, whether that's more active, more calm, more successful, you name it, you got to get yourself into the right, the right groups and the right circles. And, um, that's why, you know, we say all the time community here is everything. Awesome. Well, Derek, thank you so much for your time. Uh, If you like this podcast, guys, make sure to rate and subscribe. We're available on all podcast streaming services, and we'll see you next time. See you guys later.